welcome everybody to a really exciting episode of Every Woman's Story podcast with Stonecroft. We are super excited today to have Dr. Carmen Joy Imes with us. Carmen is an author, speaker, blogger, YouTuber, and she serves as Associate Professor of Old Testament at Biola University in Southern California. But I have to tell you that I'm really excited to hear from Carmen because she writes on one of my very favorite topics that I love to learn about when I think about discovering God's purpose and how I fit into God's purpose, and that is the topic of being God's image. So I hope we're going to hear about her most recent book, um, how we are reflecting God's image, and that is how we go through life. But as we get together in every woman's story, we just kind of want to remember who we are here in this community. We are women who believe that everybody has a story and that story matters and that your story and you belong at Jesus's table. Every woman, every person has a seat at Jesus's table, an invitation to join him there. And so we hope these next few minutes will bring you closer to God by unpacking the Bible story and understanding Carmen's story and your own. So Carmen, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's great to be with you. And I am excited, as always, to get to work with my fabulous co-host, Elisa Cortez-Bass. So, Elisa, would you reintroduce yourself to this community? I know. We're just saying it's been a while. Um, for those of you who might be brand new, my name is Elisa Cortez-Bast, and I get to serve as the Vice President of Outreach for Stonecroft Ministries alongside my fabulous colleague, Naomi Kramer-Overton. Um, and that gets to be my day job and my other job. I'm also a student. I'm a mentor. I'm a wife and a mom. And um, God willing, I'm a friend, a good friend. So I'm excited to be here um, and excited to hear more of Carmen's story. That's fabulous. Well, Carmen, okay, we are going to get to your really cool devotional that you wrote called Hunting for Heroes that is on the Every Woman's Story website. But before we get there, we want to know about you. And so we would love to hear, um, let's maybe start with the fun stuff. We're going to get to something serious in a minute um, about your spark story, but I know you like to camp. I know this about you because when you and I first met, you were about to go on a camping weekend where you did an incredible amount of work over a four day camping weekend, but on your best day, what is it like you're wearing? What are you doing? Just picture your best day, Carmen's best day and and bring us into it. Mm -hmm. Well, I do love camping. And so if my best day was a camping day, then it would need to involve books in some way and lots of trees. I love, I love nature. I love hiking and being out in creation. Um, but I've found that it just doubles the impact or the the preciousness of being in nature. If I'm also learning and engaging with God, reflecting on life at the same time. So I've learned that I'm a happier camper if I bring books along. And uh, one time I was on a long camping trip with my family, I think 10 days in a row. It was like a five-day camping trip followed by another five days, kind of back to back. And I was a mess. I was, a, I was an emotional basket case. And then we found a national park visitor center. And I went in and started going through and like learning about trees. And I just felt like the life was pouring back into me. <laughs> it was like, I, it was like a, a dry sponge absorbing. It was like, oh, new information. I'm learning something like this is good. And that helped me know about myself that the whole experience of camping will be better if I also bring books. 
I love that. And not everybody thinks of bringing books while they're camping. So I'm curious, do you bring like a, you read them on your phone or do you bring like books that have weight in your backpack? I am a paper book person. Um, I recently got a super note. And so I'm starting, which is sort of functions like a Kindle. And so I'm, I've started to do some reading on there because I can actually write on it, draw on it um, and take notes, which is really fun. But, um, but really I like paper. I can't read a book without a pencil in my hand because I have to underline and star and exclamation point things and kind of keep track of what I'm thinking. And, um, you can't see it because of our, the zoom screen we're using, but I'm behind me is hundreds and hundreds of books in my office. And I have found it to be so helpful that I can go back to a book I read 10 years ago and flip right to the parts that grabbed me because they're underlined and starred. And that's why I, library books don't work so well for me and digital books don't work so well because I just really want to see it on the page and it helps me find what I've learned. I wonder if you ever met a grumpy library lady or library lad when you, because I know I have accidentally written in library books before. So just wondering. <laughs> I had a student this semester who borrowed a book from me and forgot he had borrowed it and started highlighting. And then he came to me, he was just, he was just like, like so grieved. Oh no, I've, I've, you know, messed up your book. And I was like, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I write in my books too. So it's fine. Um, yes. Writing. I know some people like to keep the page crisp and white, but for me, when you look back through my books, you are getting a window into my thought processes as I read them and the ways that I interacted and engaged with them. And so it's a, a little window on who Carmen was when she was reading this book or what she was thinking about. Carmen, I love that because, you know, in that, um, it's like, I have to imagine if somebody gets a book from you, it's a gift, like mm -hmm. inside there, because it's a part of yourself. And so mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm curious as I think about our listeners and viewers, you know, is this, is this Carmen, like in a tent camping, like in a hammock, just like happy <laughs> with books? Or like, do you have like a wall of books blocking people from coming in and out so you can read alone? Like, what does oh, this look like for you? Yeah. So we had, we sold our camping trailer last fall because we can't find places in Southern California that we like to camp. We just, we're Pacific Northwest people when it comes to camping and we need lots of trees and hiking trails. And around here, it's not like that. So we sold our trailer, but my favorite thing about it was that it had a cupboard above the couch that was like perfect for a bookshelf. And so I would have lots of books on the bookshelf and I would bring, you know, different genres, maybe a novel because I don't normally read novels. I'm normally reading in biblical studies. Um, and so things that were on the lighter side, things that were on the more technical side, if my brain needed to be stretched. Um, so yes, usually I would be camping in a trailer where I can have books. And my, my ideal would be to spend some time in the morning reading. And then I would go out and be with people for the rest of the day, maybe bring along a book to sit by the Creek and read while other people are hanging out. Um, if I'm not trying to super focus, part of my problem is that I am social enough that I want to be with people all the time. Like I don't want to miss anything. But if all I do is engage with people, I start to feel drained by the end of the trip. So I'm learning to balance, you know, to disappear for a couple of hours to read and then reemerge a happier lady <laughs> and engaging with everybody else. So it sounds like you've come to know yourself pretty well. And um, I always thought I was an extrovert and I'm really, Elisa knows I am really, really not. Hmm. So um 
so we want to hear a story, kind of a story when you began to first realize like who God made you to be, we call kind mm -hmm. of our spark story here on this mm -hmm. podcast. And mm -hmm. what was it? Maybe how did God's word interweave with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When did Carmen first kind of go, oh, I'm kind of fully alive. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the story that came to mind is actually one that I recognize in retrospect. It was something that I did that felt really natural at the time. And now looking back, I'm like, that's really unusual. <laughs> I don't know any other teenagers who do this. <laughs> so um, when I was in high school, I was probably about 12 when I sensed a call to missions. And so all through high school, while my friends were interested in going to the mall, I was reading missionary biographies and thinking about where could I go to college where they can train me to be a Bible translator, because that's what I want to do. So I had a sense that eventually I'd be a missionary and missionaries have to raise support, raise financial support and prayer support. And I, and I wanted to start, I figured, well, I, I had a couple of books that I read that said, it's never too early to start building a support team. So long before I knew where I was going to go or what I was going to do, I was trying to bring people along on the journey. And so my freshman year of college, I went off to Bible college and I started sending newsletters. I started writing newsletters about college and sending it home to my home church in Denver. And they photocopied them and put them on the back table so that people as they were leaving church could like get a letter from Carmen. <laughs> this is so funny because I wasn't a missionary. I didn't have like stories from the front lines or anything. What I had was stories about what I was learning in college that I felt like were things I thought other people should hear. And I wanted people to feel a sense of participation in my educational journey because that was going to be preparing me for missionary service. So my pastor picked up on this, uh, this strange thing I was doing, writing letters home. And he, out of the blue, uh, invited me to teach a summer class at our church that summer after my freshman year, he said, Hey, is there something that you want to teach? I don't remember who initiated. I might've offered, Hey, I could teach a Sunday school class for anybody who's interested. I don't remember who initiated, but he jumped on it. Um, and said, yeah, what do you want to teach? And I said, well, I'm in this class called understanding worldviews, which is just blowing my mind because I didn't know this stuff before. He said, great, um, go ahead and design a class. Um, and, and so he, he gave me free reign to design a six-week class. And then this is the part that blows my mind now. He required all of the elders and their wives to take the class and the youth pastor and the children's ministry pastor. And so the entire church leadership, it was a small church, a small four square church, um, but the entire leadership team came to my class. I think that's the only, those were the only people who came to the class actually. Um, but it was a fabulous experience for me and it felt natural at the time. But now when I look back, I think, am I scoping out the high school youth group to find our next adult Sunday school teachers? And I, I admit that I'm not. And I just, i praise God for his vision and the, the, his willingness to tr entrust this group of people to me in, in a sense, because it was there that I really began to see, I was wired for this. This is like, this is what I want to keep doing. And, you know, here I am now as a, as a professor doing this all the time. Um, but that impulse to write letters to the church about what I'm learning in the academy 
is kind of a metaphor for what I do now. I'm studying all the time and I'm learning things about the Bible. And then I try to write for various venues. I'm not just writing academic things. I'm also writing for the church, uh, writing blog posts, writing books that youth groups could read. And I guess it's just that continually working out that sense of calling to be a bridge between the academy and the church. That's, you know, you're still translating. I mean, I love that, that you felt like that was that sense of original call for you. And here you are like still in a space where you're taking things that may feel like complex or too much and then translating them in a way for people to be able to engage with and digest. Like, I love that God is still using you as a translator. Mm -hmm. um, that's so fun. You know, Carmen, I'm so grateful because as, you know, I think about your writing and, um, you know, as we're all thinking back of like heroes that might be, you know, in our spaces. And I love that you named your pastor as kind of like a hero, someone who made the way for you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious, like, as you think about your own story and, um, and how your story intersects with so many other people, are there other heroes that, that you would say like, oh my goodness, this person comes to mind. And I think about them just really, um, you know, accelerating my call or seeing me as an individual. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, my story is punctuated with heroes like that. Um, my high school Bible teacher, Mr. Nierhoff, was amazing. He was a passionate teacher of God's word. And he just, his passion was contagious. He was literally bursting with excitement about the Bible. And he would come into class. He just could hardly contain himself because he wanted to share with us the riches of God's word. And so he modeled for me a kind of passionate engagement with scripture, uh, with other people in the room. And this is what my students tell me they really love is, is how passionate I am about the scriptures. Um, when I, when I got to college and started taking classes, uh, there were two professors who really took me aside and took special interest in me and, and kind of fanned into flame what they saw in me. One was Ray Lubeck and the other was Carl Kutz. Ray sat me down. He sat down across from me at the lunch table in the cafeteria and just said, hey, I, I've noticed you in class and I wonder if you've thought about, about teaching under me. And he had, a, he had devised a system where students could teach the class with him and be kind of trained in, in how to do good teaching and grading and record keeping and engaging with students, tutoring, all the things. And it was a fantastic um, formational opportunity for me. I didn't even at the time know if that was okay for a woman to do, uh, for a woman to teach Bible. And he was, he was the one who kind of connected the dots for me and opened up that opportunity in that space. And then Carl Kutz asked me to be his TA and I, he entrusted me with a lot of responsibility in terms of the kinds of grading and the kinds of projects that I did. So I got a taste of life in the academy by by doing projects for him. I remember he was preparing a class. He was going to teach a fourth year Greek class. And I had only had three years of Greek and I wasn't planning to take fourth year Greek, but he compiled all these um, texts of classical Greek. And he my assignment was to read them and underline all the words I didn't know because the students coming into it would be would have presumably about the same vocabulary that I had. And so he wanted to make his own glossary with the hard words in it so that those who took that class uh, mm -hmm. could could be like, it would be at the right level for them. I mean, that's, that's a pretty interesting uh, stimulating opportunity that I had. And I never took the class, but one of the guys who did now teaches at Harvard. <laughs> there's, there's a, 
you know, the, it, to participate in the formation of scholarship was really, really life-giving to me. I'm struck so much, uh, Carmen, by the boldness of your story. I love <laughs> that you figured out that not every, you know, person is dreaming of becoming a biblical scholar. Um, although I have to say, you're like getting to know you and I've gotten to know a couple other biblical scholars. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. You know, how much of my life do I have left? Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, and I also love the impact that heroes have had on your life and then how in your role, you're also a mom. I know that. Mm -hmm. And, um, but also as your role as a professor, how you now have that opportunity to even just by your own passion, um, naturally be someone that others can, can model their lives after. So I want to turn to the story that you wrote for every woman's story. I have to say that I really related to this, um, this story for those who have not yet read it, but we hope that you will go read it. And I'm sure links will be provided so you can was, um, Carmen's story with hope, and it was called hunting for heroes. And I'm just going to share with everybody a couple of the phrases before we lean in more to how Carmen approached this. So she was looking at Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And as she thought about um, what was portrayed in that um, passage, she thought about a man in her life who, like a lot of people in all of our lives, and if we're honest, we ourselves, was not really completely a hero. Um, her grandfather is who she writes about. And the, some of the things that stood out to me were sentences like, you wondered if you would ever be important enough that he would arrange his schedule to come to your drama performance, or if your family would ever be included in vacations and holidays. You go on to talk about, like all people, grandpa was complex, a mix of virtues and vices, sometimes a hero, sometimes a disappointment. Mm -hmm. But you don't leave it there about grandpa. You very um, honestly, courageously look at the Bible. And if we look at the Bible thinking, oh, we'll find our heroes there, mm -hmm. that we might be disappointed too. So as a biblical scholar, which you are as a human <laughs> with humans around you, um, mm -hmm. which you are, when you began to realize that not only, you know, was your life, your daily life full of people who were not completely heroic, but then you, you become this expert in this book where it has people who are not completely heroic. Mm -hmm. How did that, how did that meet with your soul? Hmm. I, I honestly find it really freeing and encouraging. I think a lot of Christians come to the Bible thinking that they're going to find heroes to emulate. And then they feel really disillusioned when what they find seems kind of problematic. Um, people who, who act in ways that we're pretty sure we're not supposed to imitate. But then if, if the Bible is for you, a book of heroes, then it's like, what do I do with this? These, these are not heroes. And so some people just reject the Bible because what they're finding in it doesn't meet what they were looking for. And so for me, it's been really freeing to, to realize that the Bible is not a hero book, but it's, it's the chronicle of people again, with vices and virtues uh, with flaws and successes who are doing the best they can to try to follow God and walk faithfully with him or who are not even trying. Um, and it's, it's the chronicle of their experience with God and their experience with each other. And really the hero in the biblical story is God. God is the one that we're supposed to look to to find out uh, how to live, what character qualities to emulate. But but many times we get hung up on the humans because, of course, 
they're the ones who look like we do and who act, you know, we have the possibility of doing things they're doing. So I find it freeing to realize that these people are here for my instruction, but they don't have to be heroes. It frees me from having to, to sort of work to squeeze the Bible into a, a mold. And like, now I, I have to figure out why this is a good thing that Abraham did this. <laughs> um, no, it, sometimes what they're doing is actually a bad thing. And it's okay for us to recognize that. But to see that God's grand purposes for humanity are still carried out, even though people are flawed. That's reassuring to me because I'm flawed like my grandfather. And so I I don't have to worry that God's purposes for the universe are going to come unraveled if I screw up because I can see his grace that carries generations of imperfect followers and 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 makes something beautiful out of their lives. Yeah, I there's such freedom in that. And I feel like there's freedom to not only hold our heads high, but also to admit our mistakes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know if with your grandfather and you ever, you know, if you ever had a moment where that happened, a lot of times our stories don't have that happen, you know, with that person. Um, but the, you know, you cite here so many different people in the Bible, Sarah and, Eve and and even sometimes you know we'll look at somebody like Esther who we think was completely heroic and uh and then go mm, maybe maybe there's still some you know chinks in her armor mm-hmm. um I think the the question that that springs up for me is how has um understanding that you don't have to be the hero of the story freed you so we look at the Bible, we think there's going to be heroes, right? They're famous. They've got to be all great. You know, Sarah's beautiful. Esther's beautiful, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we figure out they're not. We figure out that not everything that happens in the Bible is exactly what God would have wanted because humans were involved. Um, but then we turn to culture around us. And, you know, I have a background in marketing and literally in marketing, marketers are told, make your customer the hero of the story, make them the hero. And what you just said is we open the Bible, it is not a book where it's like, you're the hero. Hmm. And yet also in your article, you talk about how, but we are made in the hero's image. And so how do you handle that tension between those two? I honestly think it's the best of both worlds because we have been, we have a God-given dignity and responsibility. Like we actually have agency. We can do stuff. We have the power to do stuff. We have the resources to do stuff, God-given, because we're humans made as God's image. But we don't have the responsibility or the the weight of thinking that everything depends on me to get it right. So there's a kind of freedom of partnership with God, a a collaborative relationship with God, or a a sense of participation that I think is, is great. I remember... I remember when I was 17 years old feeling like this must be the best age ever because I had a job, a a very part-time job, uh, and I had a car, but I didn't have to pay a lot of bills yet. I wasn't paying rent. I didn't have to buy food. I I don't, I probably had to pay for for car insurance, um, but I was saving up money for college. So I had a lot of freedom, but it, it didn't all depend on me. I didn't have to keep the world going. And I feel like that's the vibe I get from humans in scripture is that we have a a lot of agency and a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of possibility for us to participate in meaningful ways, but it doesn't all depend on us. And we get to just live in that forever 17 kind of <laughs> category. That is oh, I love that. That's the hashtag, forever 17. <laughs> uh, well, okay, it did bring up a memory. My first, when I was 17, I, yeah, all the money that I made from my little part-time job, I spent at a restaurant that no longer is in business called The Spice Rack, where Ooh. I could buy meals for my friends with my money. I literally had nothing else I had to do with that money. Wow. So. Oh my goodness. I totally get you. Forever 17 freedom. That's <laughs> oh, oh I'm just wondering, you know, in that in um and your framing, which is so helpful, you know, what would you say to maybe our listeners? Um, you know, we wrestle with a lot of hard topics here on this podcast. And for people who are just kind of like um wrestling through them and um, feel like the bow is not tied on it yet. Mm -hmm. And I would say for some, for some people in their story, and I would say it's certainly true of my story. I grew up in a faith tradition where if things didn't go upward and to the right, like, obviously I didn't do something like, and so what I hear, you know, when I think about our listeners, when I hear what you're saying is there's this kind of um, freedom to live in that space too, for people who are just like, you know, um, where it's like a 50, 50 split. And if I don't do everything perfect, then God is not going to show up in the way that I think he should. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I'm just curious, um, as a maybe a gift to our um, viewers or listeners, um, in light of just how you frame that so beautifully, what word of encouragement would you give people mm -hmm. that are wondering, like, maybe I messed up and God mm -hmm. shouldn't have come through? Mm -hmm. Oh, God is bigger than your mistakes and your failures and your weaknesses. And actually, the fact that we're human is something that frees us from having to do it all or be everything like, because humans have limitations. We have bodily limitations. We have time constraints. We have restraints in our resources. And so it, it doesn't all depend on you. And you, you, you are actually not powerful enough to mess up God's plan. You don't have that power. You're not, you're not big enough to do that. And, and thinking that we are is a sort of insidious form of pride that we need to get rid of. So yes, we have agency. Yes, we have influence, but there's nothing that we can do that ultimately derails what God wants to get done. And so just look at, look at, you know, read through the book of Genesis, look at some of these people, these men and women who misused that agency, misused the resources they had, walked in fear instead of faith. And, and yet God still carries through this covenant family from whom the Messiah will come he still is able to do incredible things that exceed our imagination. And so we've, we are in good company if we're human and we have limitations. I really love that as we're getting ready to close out what an honest encouragement this has been, mm. you know, none of us need to be told we're great or we can be great if we just do X, Y, Z, you know, but, but that God is great. And he made us great. Even in spite of our flaws, we can partner with him and will not mess up his work. So, um, okay. So we often choose like a hashtag. You've said so many cool things. Like <laughs> I'm already cooking one up for you, but, um, but I would love to know if there was like a little hashtag that kind of brought this all together for you, what we've talked about today, what would it be? I mean, my favorite hashtag is best job in the world. And I use it all the time. And I would say it's a good, 
it, I don't use that hashtag because I think I singularly got the best job in the world and nobody else gets to have it. I think the best job in the world is when we're walking in the freedom of doing what we were born to do. And so for every person, that's going to be a little bit different, but best job in the world is knowing our place in God's story and, and living into that without thinking that we have to be everything. The world is, is out there telling you, you are enough. And I want to say, actually, you're not, but with God, you're enough. <laughs> like by ourselves, we're not enough, but, but we, we get this privilege of partnering with God and participating in his work and to, to lean into that is the best job in the world. And I love that. So we can all have the best job in the world. I love that. Wow. Well, we are in a minute going to close out with scripture because we love to do that and do scripture reading and divine hearing or Lectio Divina. Um, but I just want to tell people who are watching or listening to this that I love Carmen's books. I also love the podcast she does. I believe it's Torah Tuesdays. I just find it online and I listen to it. Um, but her books that again, root into some of the things that are in Genesis and earlier parts of the Bible, early parts of the Bible, and look at this origin of what it means to be people who God made in God's image. And so I just encourage you, maybe you could just tell us the titles. You've probably written more sure. than I know, Carmen. So go ahead. <laughs> well, the, the two books that I think people would be most interested in that relate to what we've talked about today are Being God's Image, Why Creation Still Matters, and then Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters, which zooms in on God's covenant people. And I argue in that book that if you want to know who you are and why you're here, you have to go back to Sinai. Christians sometimes think they can just leave off the Old Testament. I'm convinced we we need the Old Testament if we want to know who we are and why we're here. And so I try to help Christians rediscover the value of the Old Testament, rediscover the grace of God and the mission that he's given us to represent him in the world. That's so exciting. It's probably like why you made me even think about what a biblical scholar is and how you trained mm -hmm. to be one, but um, in midlife, <laughs> which is extreme that you're, it's so exciting what you do. Mm. Well, we would love to have you close with a scripture that has been meaningful in your journey of um, being God's image um, bearer. So could you go ahead and name that for us? And then we will, um, Elisa and I will take turns reading it as well. Yeah, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, which is a passage that was meaningful to me, especially in high school. So as we think about being 17, uh, this, this is what was on a loop in my head when I was 17. And I think it fits with what we've talked about today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. 
And finally, from the New Living Translation, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen. Yeah. Well, Carmen, thank you again for being with us and for bringing us into God's word, both through your story about God is the hero of our story and lets us join that as a partner. And then also through these uh, words that remind us that that God's will for you, for me, for us is good and pleasing and perfect. It has been a joy to be with you and for our every woman's. So before I, I close, just wanted to say thank you so much for making the time today. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. This has been a joy. Yeah. And I hope you do find some pretty places to camp in Southern California. I know they're different, but maybe, <laughs> I, maybe I can send you some ideas. Sweet. Oh, yeah. So, and Melissa, always good to be with you. And always the same. Yeah. All right. So you have been part of every woman's story. Remember, your story matters. And we are inviting every woman to find her story in God's story. We believe every woman has an invitation to sit at Jesus's table. And we hope you'll pop on over to the website, enjoy Carmen's article, and continue pressing on in finding all that God has made you for. Take care, sister, and have a great week. Bye. Bye.